Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. Welcome. While we're doing the announcement kind of portion of the evening, um, for those who either miss uh, a week or would like to listen to some of this stuff again or download the series and remix it into kind of like a dubstep kind of thing or anything like that, you can um, download it via the podcast. Um, It's available on iTunes. If you do a search under Paul Elmore, um, you'll come up with me and a couple other weird things which aren't me and um, you can just subscribe to that podcast if you subscribe to the podcast like a year ago or or a while back I actually dumped that feed rebuilt the whole kind of podcast did some hosting stuff all sorts of neat technical things which I was surprised it works at the end but it does so um, subscribe to that podcast and you can listen to some of this so far they all turned out except the second week which the microphone I kind of screwed up, and so there's some scratchy, poppy, not-so-good stuff. So don't shame me because of that mistake. Um, what is the name of this class? Hey, we got some people going for it. Nicely done. Okay, for those who are new, there's, there's kind of a little um, cult-like ritual we have to do. It's like a secret handshake if we're going to be doing this, all right? So... You gotta get the hand up, can I kind of think Italian, Latin, kind of the romantic kind of languages, okay? And it is called affinitas, okay? So you can kind of wander around the church, you know, and see each other, you know, kind of do this. People know what you're talking about. You're like in the club, okay? That's what the secret handshake's about. Finitas is about relationships. It's about not just romantic relationships, but we relate to all sorts of people throughout our entire life. Um, friends, ourselves, parents romantic, um, God. Um, tonight we are talking about how to have a healthy relationship with ourself. And I got to tell you, this one, this one took some work. Because if I, could, if I could do one thing for most of my clients, this is it. If I had the little magic pill or the magic wand, it would be helping people learn how to relate to themselves in a healthy, appropriate, better kind of way. If I had that pill, I would charge a lot more than I charge right now, and I'd probably be retired, okay? So this is how important it is. I want, I want everyone to understand... Um, You can avoid every other relationship in your life, except for the whole parenting thing. Yeah, I don't think you can avoid that one. Um, Someone's got to parent you somewhere. But other than that one, you can try to avoid relationships. You can try to live a single monastic kind of hermit kind of life. um, And you still have to get this one dialed in to be able to live at least at peace with yourself. So this one is, this one is important. Now here's the, here's the caveat or the catch in all of this. I also think that this is the hardest. I think that this is always the, the, the topic that is most difficult um, because it's, it, it's relatively, um, I'll use the word complex, meaning there's a lot of facets and a lot of uniqueness that goes into our life and our stories and what makes us up and trying to unravel all of that 
we are not simple mechanical machines. That's why, as a counselor, I actually love working on my car. Because if there's a part that doesn't work, I, you take four bolts, take it off, buy a new part, bolt the new part on, and the car works good again. It's so nice to have something as simple as that. We are not that simple. We are complex. Would you agree? Yeah. Not only are we complex, but we are also sacred. The stories in our lives, the things that we hold, are not to be trivialized, ignored, minimized, any of that. It's important, and our stories matter. And so we have to tread carefully and respectfully into those places. We do that with ourselves, we do that with our friends, we do that with our spouses, we do that with people we're helping. We gotta be careful. We are created wonderfully. We are fearfully made, okay? So, we're gonna do our best in an hour and a half to change the way you think about yourself. Would that be all right? I will apologize now because we are not going to do credit where credit is due. If we could do eight weeks on this topic right here, we could do that. But we're only going to give it one. And the way my track record's going so far, the chances are we're not going to get through it. So <laughs> uh, I already got too many pages of notes. Um, let's get started first, if we can, by putting ourselves in the right mindset again. So put your books down, please. Put the pins down. You guys are starting to understand how this works. I use the acronym PBR, does not stand for Paps Blue Ribbon, stands for becoming present, body, and receptive. All right, so if you wouldn't mind, close your eyes again real quickly for me, please. And again, the reality, the place that you are faced with right now is you can't fix any of the problems that you have had to deal with. I actually hope that Monday nights in some strange way have become a little bit of a sanctuary for you where you know you don't have to fix any problems in this hour and a half. You can pick up the problems when you're done on your way out, but for right now, you have a break. You are allowed to just sit and experience and receive. So just become present. I want you to hear the sounds around you. As we focus on your body, I want you to notice the temperatures you feel, any sensations you have in your body, any points of pressure. Maybe you know what emotions are connected to those sensations and feelings in your body. Just notice it. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to change it. You don't have to make it better. Just notice it. And then finally, take your hands, put them palm up on your knees. This is a very open, non-defensive posture. I don't know what your story is, and I don't know what pieces that I believe God would want to offer to you tonight. But if you can simply become receptive and open to receiving it, Maybe it doesn't happen tonight, maybe it happens tomorrow, maybe it happens a week from now, but I do believe that God knows your story and he actually cares. We don't serve a universal force, we don't serve an impersonal being. You are known intimately. In fact, you are known better than you know yourself and you are not forgotten. 
while you're in that place and just take a deep breath. Feel it come in and then move out and then let your body just be in that state. And the only thing I want you to do is just open your eyes while you sit in that state. You can use this technique anytime you need to. Something at work isn't going good. Something at home isn't going good. Something in class isn't going good. You can center and bring yourself back to this receptive place. It isn't just reserved for here. All right? All right. Let's get started, shall we? All right. How to have a better relationship with yourself. While I was... Um, kind of prepping for this, I thought it'd be fun to do, um, consult the um, source of information that is true and has kind of the all-knowing source of, of truth and helpful information. So I did a Google search. And here's what um, Google says are 10 ways to instantly build self-confidence. It was like the second or third thing there. You guys could have saved your evening and just Googled this. Um, number one. You can, if you want to have a better self-confidence, simply dress sharp. Who would we pick has already got good self-confidence in here? Who's dressing sharp tonight? Jimmy is. All right. So if you're dressing like Jimmy, it's good to go. Uh, number two, if you simply walk faster. Okay? So however many people are just booking it in here, you're halfway there. Good posture. Look around. Who's, who's feeling good about themselves? Good posture, straight back, okay, good breathing. All the, I actually helped you with that already. I'll take credit for that. Um, something they call a personal commercial, kind of what you're telling yourself. You kind of advertise yourself. So if we had, you know, a little banner ad right here that says, hey, I'm cool or I'm confident, something like that. That's a little personal commercial you make. Gratitude, having a, just an attitude of gratitude. Compliment other people. What do you think? Do you think I'm pretty nice? All right, see, very nice. You're already self-confident right there. And no joke, number seven, it says, if you sit in the front row, that will gain <laughs> self-confidence. So you guys, you are, Jimmy's got the styling and the sitting in the front row, okay? He's going to be our model for tonight. Um, speaking up and working out, and then if you focus on a contribution. You do those ten things, and you will have good self-confidence. What do you think? Is that, is that all it takes? What's the most frustrating part about this whole idea of learning how to, you know, like yourself better, have a better relationship with yourself? What are some of the dilemmas or struggles you guys have had in some of this? Yes. That's really smart. And you're not even in the front row. Very good. <laughs> Very good. I like that. And to kind of assume something rather than it being an internal change and coming from the inside out. What else? What else is a frustration as you kind of wrestle through how to have a better relationship with yourself? Uh, just knowing that you, you're the only one that can decide what parts of you you're not uh, happy with. Yeah. And coming to grips with those things can be hard because you've taught yourself to not enjoy those or continually play stuff over in your head that reinforces the ideas of getting outside. Yeah, absolutely. How about the process of getting better? Anyone bumping any frustrations? Okay, let me ask a better question. How many of you have tried to improve the way you think about yourself? Am I the only one? Or Okay. So everyone else has kind of tried to get better. The process of changing yourself. What are some of the roadblocks or the speed bumps you've bumped into? Um, just 
like, mean girl thoughts. Yeah, like, you know, like, don't eat that, you're going to, you know, and, okay. or you're not doing this meditation right. And, you know, so beating yourself up is yeah. the method to make yourself better. No, I'm saying, like, be aware when you're doing that, so you... you okay, know. yes. Someone else. All right. Belief. Belief. Ah, so you can say it, but do you actually believe it? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think for me, as I have wrestled with this, and the kind of the catch-22 in all of this is, I actually claim and advertise and try to get paid to help people actually think better out of themselves. That's a pretty grandiose offer I make. Wouldn't you say? Myself or any other counselor out there. Or pastor. I'm going to have to throw Ben in the middle of this because I don't, I don't want to be the only one who kind of promotes this. Pastors think they can change people, right? Hopefully. That's why they, that's why they do what they do. You don't do it for the paycheck. Um, I have lots of information telling you about why I should change, what I should become. The, the hardest part for me is the How? How do we actually do that? Does that make sense? So many of these articles, so many of the books, you should think this way, you should believe these things, you are this way, and that's all, again, that's the what, that's the why, but when it comes down to the how, how do we actually do this? That's the frustrating part. And so we're going to spend a ton of time on that one piece tonight. I'm going to real briefly talk about the what and the why, okay? And then, once we have that defined, we're just going to get into how do we actually change how, what we believe about ourselves here. Um, couple processes to make this happen. I think that you have to be rooted in truth. There is absolute truth. This isn't kind of a, well, what I believe about me is kind of my reality. Um, there are people who believe that, and your experiences are subjective, yes, but I do believe there is absolute truth out there. Is that okay for me to say? Absolutely. Okay. Here's the absolute truth. I've already said it a couple times before, and I'm going to come back to it again because I want you to hear this, and I think it is just uber, uber important for you to hear this. I believe you were created by a good God. I believe because a good God created you, you have inherent value, not based upon what you do, not based upon any performance, but simply because you exist, you are precious and valuable and worthy of being loved and cared for. Default. And because of all of that, I simply want you to view and relate to yourself in the same way that God created you. Okay? That's the basic premise. That's all of the how and why. We're not going to go any, any different than that. You are valuable. You are precious. You are worthy of being loved, period. And I want you to view yourself in that way. Is that target hittable? I just made up a word, hittable. Do you th yes? How many of you answer this question in your head? You don't need to answer it out loud. Scale of 1 to 10, 10 is absolutely 100% true, and 1 is not even close. If I were to say, you are absolutely valuable and worthy of being loved, how true does that feel to you on a 1 to 10 scale? Just find that number for yourself. Some of you, it's going to be very, very low, if not even registering. And some of you, it's going to be up on the higher range. 
that's the work that we get to do. I want that to be a number 10 or 11. I want that to be a, a fact and an inalienable truth in your world, okay? A good God created you. Because you are created by him, you are valuable and you have worth, and I simply want you to view yourself in the same way that God viewed you. All right? That's, that's the truth that we're going to stand in. The next thing that we get to remember um, is the beliefs that we end up having about ourselves. if there is a strong emotional connection when we assume that belief, the belief becomes stronger. Does that make sense? So if I am standing up here and simply lecturing to you, and you guys are patiently, kindly listening to me, the chances of you retaining some of this are actually around the 25-30% range. Isn't that a little disappointing? That's why this is a podcast. So you can listen to it over and over and over again. Okay, just hearing something. But if we were to do something that would evoke your emotions into this. Again, I used to work on a challenge course. So at times, we would have people stand on what's called the pamper pole, 32-foot telephone pole. The top is about that big. For some crazy reason, people climb up to the top of that and stand on that, kind of on their tippy toes. And then there's a trapeze bar about where you're at. And we say, whenever you're ready, jump. And they're strapped into a rope and everything. Truths that are learned up there... <laughs> tend to stick with you. You tend not to lose them because the emotions are engaged. Um, and that's why I actually used to do what I did. Yeah. Um, because that is, that's, that's the good stuff. And I wish I could put every single one of you on top of a pamper pole. That would be a real, I'd have a captive audience then, wouldn't I? That would be fantastic. We gotta figure out how to build one in the parking lot, Ben. That would be good. Um, what else, what else, what else? Um, here's some bad news. In kind of prefacing some of this. If you want to change the way that you believe and relate to yourself, that can only be done when you are uncomfortable. Did you know that? Because if we're safe... And I mean, no, not safe. That's not the word I wanted to use. If we are comfortable, if we're going, I really am okay with myself right now. I'm not being pushed in any way. I'm, I'm doing fine right now. Then we lack the impetus. We lack the push to actually change anything. It requires us to become a little bit uncomfortable. So I can stand here and I can put my finger in Jimmy's ear, okay? And if I did that, number one, that'd be just weird. But if I continue to do that, that I'm imagining would be fairly uncomfortable for Jimmy and it would prompt him to move, okay? Discomfort me creates a change in him, I hope. Or else that's just a weird way to get to know each other. Um, and so we have to be uncomfortable if we're gonna change, um, but we also have to be safe. So one of the principles I have in my life and might be interesting what would happen if you adopted in your life would be this. The next time something's not going so good, the next time that your world's not working the way that you want it to, ask yourself two questions. Am I safe? Okay? If this completely blows up in my face, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, will I be dead? Will someone else be dead? Will there be tragic kind of consequences? And if the answer is no, and you are relatively safe, 
then the next thing I would say is, can you sit in the discomfort? Can you embrace the uncomfortableness and say, this sucks, I don't like it, I don't want to be here, but I'm wondering how I'm going to be changed because of this. Not weird, because now you no longer fear the discomfort or the uncomfortable places. Now it's like, hey, this actually might be of some benefit for me. That would be a really crazy way to start changing, wouldn't it be? And people would look at you like, you're okay with this? I mean, you're okay with what's going on? Your world's not that great right now. You can go, you're right, and I wish it was different, but I also know that this isn't a deal breaker, and I am somehow okay. Thoughts or questions about any of that? All right. We are going to get through this, I promise. Uh, last thing to kind of remember in some of this stuff, as you are trying to change your own beliefs, oftentimes it is much easier to do that when you can borrow someone else's belief in yourself first. Does that make sense? So, my daughter is having a hard day and she's beating herself up. I get to offer to her as her father unconditional love and acceptance and appreciation and she doesn't have to earn that. She doesn't have to do something to receive that. That's hers for free. And sometimes when I offer that to her and I see her in that way, she starts to adopt the way that I see her. It makes it a little easier sometimes. That's what I get to do in counseling a lot. People come in and they are convinced of these truths about themselves. And I simply have the privilege of seeing them objectively. And when I get to see them for who they are, not what they think they are, I get to offer them that, that different perspective. And my hope is, is that when you do that long enough, that you start to own some of that. And it... I wish I could introduce you to every single one of my clients. They are remarkable people. They really are. To watch what they have come in and then how they have changed. We could just line them up and sit them up on the, up on the front um, podium here and just have you ask questions because they are a vast fount of knowledge. They're really wonderful people. Really wonderful people. But we can't do that, so we'll just take my word. Um, objections. Some of the things that makes this hard to change your belief in yourself. Kind of two big ones. Eh, two or three big ones if I can. Did you know that some people have the belief that I have to hate myself to be a good person? Isn't that amazing? For me to somehow be a good person, I have to think poorly of myself. I sat with a client recently, and we went down this kind of list. And if he is happy, then he is not responsible. That's a real belief in his. He believes that he has to work for everything. And if something comes easy, then it isn't the right thing. Imagine how difficult that makes life. But he truly believes that. That's a, that's a thing in him that, that he kind of operates in. He's operated in for a long, long time. How many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you might think that that plays in there? I have to be unhappy to be responsible. I'll say this carefully. Um, I think sometimes there are churches 
and spiritual concepts that actually propagate that same belief. We are wretches. We are sinners. We are so depraved as people. And unless we believe that and feel depraved and wretched, then we're not very good believers. Now, I want to challenge that emotional connection to that. I still believe we're sinful. I believe we're fallen creatures. But I also believe that God made us valuable. Does that make sense? I want, I want that to be kind of reconciled in, in the whole kind of struggling through all of this. But if you recognize that you have the belief that you have to be unhappy to be good, we got to challenge that belief. That is, that's a foundational thing that needs to be changed. Okay? That's one hindrance to changing some of this. Um, oh, here's a good one. Um, you make a mistake. And it's a legitimate mistake. I mean, it costs you something or it costs someone else something. And if you go up to someone and say, you know what? I know what I just did kind of, kind of messed you up, cost you a whole much. I'm okay, though. Um, you know, hope you get over that. Good luck with that. And I walk away. What would you think about me? Whoa, 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 whoa sociopath? Wow. We're going to have to work on the DSM for you. That's just, that's, wow, sociopath. Okay, what else would you think about me? What else would you think about me? Jerk. Jerk. Really, don't, don't hold back, okay? Unfeeling. Unfeeling, yes. Ungenuine. Uncompassionate. Isn't it amazing that for us to feel like we take responsibilities for our mistake, we have to beat ourselves up? I'm so sorry. I am, I can't, I'm terrible. You, here, here's everything I got in my pockets. You can have all of this, okay? And the next time I see you, I can't, I'm so sorry. I mean, I, I'm a horrible person. And then six months later, you know what? I still can't believe I ever did that to you. Are you okay? Really, you're going to make it all right? In a year and two years and all that stuff. We believe for us to take responsibility for ourselves and the mistakes that we made, we have to continue to beat ourselves up. Would you think that that plays out in some of my life? Okay, you don't know my life, but think that plays out somewhere in the room here? Let's assume it does. That keeps you stuck. Um, I use the example, I steal a TV, sit before the judge, judge says six months in the pokey, and I have to do time. Six months later, the doors are opened up, you're free to go, you've paid your time, and I go, yeah, but I stole the television. I really shouldn't, I, I, it's true, I never, I never gave it back, I, you know, I stole the TV, I should probably stay in here longer, so I'm going to stay here for a couple more years. That's what we do to ourselves all the time. We never give ourselves an appropriate consequence. A lot of times we spend so much energy saying, yeah, but you did screw up and you shouldn't ever feel good about that. <sighs> this is a hard one. People have a hard time letting go of that, especially because it's a whole mistake, perfectionistic thing. Um, and then kind of the last thing that keeps us hung up on all this is we don't want to be seen as selfish or sociopathic, or narcissistic, or jerk, or uncompassionate, or any of these other, we just, we believe that if we have higher value or self-esteem in ourselves, then it comes across as self-centered, grandiose thinking, narcissistic thinking, all of that, and so none of us, you know, 
we want to be humble and contrite and merciful, compassionate people. And that doesn't quite work out. Does that make sense? That keeps us stuck? Yes. Real loud. Individuals that transgress against another and yet they won't apologize or anything. Yes. What about people who transgress against us and they won't apologize? That happens all the time. Um, what does it mean about us? That would be the question, right? Um, ask that question when it comes to relating to other people. That's okay, that's okay. Um, sometimes that affects how we view ourselves as well. Well, we'll talk about it a little later, but it does shape how kind of we, what we believe about ourselves. Um, all right. Oh, real fast, where's that? Let me see if this works real quick. Good. All right, turn it up just a little bit. Hit the button. Anyone seen this before? Just nod your head, but let's watch it for... She's not in this class, okay? She's, she's just not in this class because she's got that dialed in. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? But here's the ironic thing. Um, obviously, I pulled it off of YouTube. One of the comments in there, someone had asked the question, did you teach her that she could say, I can do anything better than anyone? Isn't that a little wrong? Someone's questioning this little four-year-old girl saying that I can do anything better than anyone else because there's that predominant belief again that you're not allowed to say that. You can't say that you're better than everyone else. How dare you? Isn't that selfish and wrong? Is that wrong for her to say that? No. Why? <laughs> we'll state the obvious. Because she's four. Yeah, why is it wrong for a four-year-old, or not wrong for a four-year-old to say that? That innocence will be lost soon enough. <laughs> how many of you would have been, how many of you would have been celebrated for that, don't raise your hands. How many of you would have been encouraged to have that belief about yourself? 
how many of you would have had that recorded and thrown up on YouTube for 10 million people to watch? That's not often encouraged, even in a four-year-old, where there is still some innocence left inside her. Again, we get shaped very, very early in all of this. It's fun to see her kind of go into that. If you want to look it up on YouTube, it's called Jessica's Affirmations. There's actually some great spoofs off of it. You know, someone dressed up like her as a junior higher. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very different script. Oh, man, it's, it's pretty funny stuff. Um, yes. I was going to say that. Um, yeah, How about the overconfidence thing and the confidence thing. You do get perceived as being uh, arrogant or... Uh, narcissistic, all that, and simply because you have a, a confidence in yourself. People, especially women, you know, they, we get it really worse than men. Yeah. Because men seem to, oh, I know is that a woman with too much confidence to talk about herself, um, they tend to be, um, <laughs> men just kind of look at them and like, whoa, you know. And um, I think it should be okay if you're confident. But you're exactly right. People yeah. Do try to put you down and, and, and take it the wrong way. Ladies, would you agree it's harder <laughs> for you to truly express self-confidence and self-belief in yourself? Harder for women than men? I think maybe? Ish? We could, you know, talk about that later. But I, I would agree. <clears throat> I think it's difficult for women um, because there are stereotypes and things put onto them that make that change the way they relate. So... Um, the word esteem, the word esteem is actually taken from the same word that means to estimate. So if you have a good estimate of yourself, good esteem, then you have high self-esteem. Now, again, if we keep having an inaccurate or a lower view of ourselves, if we do not believe that we have any sort of value or worth, then we have a low esteem for ourselves or estimate of ourselves. That word right there, again, gets tainted and kind of, it's almost like a bad word. You're talking about self-esteem? We shouldn't have self-esteem. We should not worry about that. We should just worry about loving others and taking care of other people because if you focus on yourself too much, then again, there's all sort of these negative connotations. And so um, it simply means to respect or admire. So if I have high esteem for Ben... I respect him. I admire him. And would you, anyone have any problem with me esteeming Ben that way? Yes. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'll, we'll take names afterwards, okay? Yeah. I got it right now. <laughs> That's an appropriate thing to do. So why do we have a hard time simply esteeming ourselves? So again, I want to break this idea that you can't actually think good about yourself. You have permission. You have my permission. You have your creator's permission. And I want you to give yourself permission to do some of this. Um, I'm trying to get through all of this because the hard stuff's coming up. <sighs> okay. Everyone tracking with me so far? Questions at all? Gosh, this is going to be an easy night. Um, I want to read you something that um, was actually uh, given to me in a book this week, which was really pretty good. Um, and it has a lot to do with 
how we end up viewing ourselves the way that we view ourselves. Here's what it says. We as human beings think that we are thinking. Okay? When we kind of evaluate what's going on in our brain, we think that we are thinking. And the reality is, is that is not true. Did you know that? So you're going, what am I doing? <laughs> as I'm thinking about what I am doing, okay? Um, you're not thinking. Most of the time, you are remembering. And that's a very different idea. Does that make sense, thinking and remembering? We are reliving memories. We are running familiar patterns and loops in our head. For happiness, for procrastination, for sadness, fears, hopes, dreams, desires, we have these loops for everything. We keep replaying the loops, and they in turn trigger bigger feelings. It's automatic to the point where we believe that we have no choice, but that is far from the truth. Imagine a thought loop as this. It's a pathway laid down by constant use, like a groove in rock created by water. Enough time, enough intensity, and you've got a river. If you had a thought, if you had, if you had thought it only once, it has no power over you. Repeat it again and again, especially with that emotional intensity, feeling it, and over time, you're creating the grooves or that mental river, and it controls you. Over and over and over again. One little thought doesn't change you, but over and over and over again, it does change you. It lays down these grooves, and we are spending a lot of time remembering how we think life should be rather than thinking new actual thoughts about it. That's what I meant earlier by thinking mean girl thoughts, and then you kind yeah. of like, and when you're aware of them, you stop doing that and start replacing them with new thoughts and creating new grooves. Yeah, absolutely. And some of those grooves, man, pretty deep, aren't they? You just can't seem to get out of the grooves. Yeah? It kind of explains like Stockholm Syndrome and trauma bonding and that type of stuff. Explain to those what those words mean. Stockholm Syndrome and trauma bonding. Um, like sympathizing with the captor or, um, or empathizing with abusive people. Um, I'm not sure I'm tracking how you're connecting the two. I, I, I'm lost. It's okay. You're in the back row. This is the front row for self-confident people, okay? So it's okay. <clears throat> you want to keep going for it? Uh, just, well, I just was reading a little bit out of a book, so it's in my mind, and I was just interested in what you had to say about it. Just that you were talking about the grooves being warm right. in your mind and emotional intensity. There you go. Trauma bonding and Stockholm Syndrome. It actually um, got its name because there was a bank robbery and they held um, about a dozen people hostage in the bank in Stockholm, okay? Um, and they held them for like 24 hours, multiple days. And during that time, many of the hostages actually bonded to the gunmen to where the gunmen went away to jail, and when they got out of jail 12, 15 years later, they married the hostages. And it's called Stockholm Syndrome. Here's another way to kind of ruin, ruin some more stories for you. Um, Robin Hood. Robin Hood's all about Stockholm Syndrome. He's this honorable bad guy who sticks you up, you know, with an arrow or a knife. That's, that's a fairly traumatic experience unless you're Maid Marian. Okay? And then you got Stockholm Syndrome going on all over the place. Um, it's, it's the whole idea of the noble, the noble thief, all of those things. Um, so when there is an emotional intensity kind of thing, it creates these deep grooves very, very quickly. Um, yes, that's, that's 
that's how I would connect some of that. <laughs> Learning how to love yourself when we got stuck on Stockholm Syndrome. That's great. Um, just look up Stockholm Syndrome under Amazon, and I'm sure you can probably find a dozen or two on all of that. I don't have one particular in my mind. Um, but it happens all the time where people become sympathetic for, their, for the people who are actually causing them harm. Trauma bonding is more for kind of familial, family kind of stuff, where... Um, Nine nights out of ten, dad is very kind and compassionate and loving and playful with you. But that tenth night, he is abusive or molesting in some way. And it's like, but nine nights, he's nice, and so I still have to be bonded to him, so I can't ever say no to him or I can't resist him on the tenth night. And it creates this unbelievable confusion kind of within, within children. Yes, I don't want to get stuck too long on this, but we'll keep going. Yeah. Yes, I forgot about that. Yes, Carnes, the granddaddy. Yes. Uh, would you say that people that struggle with codependency oftentimes see at least a piece of this, where despite what they've grown up and learned from people around them, especially like family members, that they're still like desiring that I need this affirmation. Yes. No, you are dead on. Um, we have, again, if we look at some of the roles that we talked about last week, we assume these roles to get what we need. And if we still aren't getting those things that we need because the strategies just don't work as well as they should, then we continue to play them out year after year after year until we grow up. Okay? Um, There are two levels to our personhood, okay? This is where it's going to get kind of crazy and complex here, and we're going to try to do my best to not lose you. All right, let's get ready. I have lots and lots of people who come into my office, and they say, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be in my life. This is where I need to be in my life. This is, this is the places that I, I want and need. And so we spend a lot of time trying to get those goals kind of met and taken care of. But if we work on that level up there, we will never really make any difference or change because there is another level to us, and that is the belief level, okay? So it looks like this. I want to have better relationships with um, such and such in my life, but I really don't believe that I'm ever going to get the love that I need. Does that make sense? And so that belief level starts to sabotage all the other work that goes on up here. And it's real common to see people who've done counseling for years and years and years. If someone is only focusing up here and they give you one more strategy on, well, here's how to be nice to the person that you want to get that love from. And well, let's try this strategy over here. And let's try this strategy over here. It's all dealing with this up here. But in reality, there's this belief level that they keep going yeah, but I'm never really going to be worthy of being loved, and that's the truth that plays out. Some of the hardest, some of the hardest things I get to wrestle with and happen kind of within um, relationships, and again, we could talk more about this on kind of romantic relationships, but when I'm doing some couples work, and if this relationship has been going for, let's say, 10, 15 years, 
Um, it's real common sometimes to, to see the couple come in and the wife is going, I want my husband to change. And here's all the things that I want him to change in. But after three weeks of counseling, I hear he's not changing at all. I don't think he's ever going to change. And it's like, okay, I can understand that. I, you spent a lot of time wanting this to be different. And he's learning some new things, but it's not as much change as you want. And so she keeps coming back to the, I want him to change. But the belief is what? He's never going to change. It's never going to happen. And oftentimes, that has to be dealt with there. You have to kind of convince her to examine her belief system. Because in a, in a relationship like this, do you think he's aware of that belief from her? Oftentimes, that's pretty well perceived or received in that relationship. So oftentimes, he goes, I'm doing my best here, and there's nothing I can do to actually make her happy because she believes this thing down here, and it becomes self-sabotaging in the relationship. So the belief level is so essential to change. So question would be, how in the world does that belief level get, get kind of programmed or primed in the first place? Anyone know? Great, now I got something to talk to you about. Awesome. Um, I just call it the wants and needs level. Perfect. Yarn. Yeah, I'm not going to tie it to that. Welcome. Glad you're here. I'm Paul. I'm Josiah. Josiah. Nice to meet you, man. Um, tie that around your wrist, will you? I'll let you hear it. You tie it around his wrist because I just don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> I got a little ball of yarn here, and I can kind of wander on this. Yes, is there a question somewhere over here? Did I, I want to say that guy you just had him tie that wrist. Yes. He graduated from treatment today. Did he really? No kidding. <laughs> so we got this little string going on here, right? <laughs> kind of weird. Excuse me. Come through. It's yarn, right? It's no special kind of string, right? Okay. If this is about as far as I get with this. I could, you know, start to give people some yarn burns real fast if I want to. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that didn't work out quite right. Um, how far could I go right now if this, if I tie this off to me right now? So if I, you know, wrap this around my wrist and tie it off, how far am I going to get? Not very far, right? Unless I do what? I could straighten out the rope or I could? Cut it, break it, all those things, yeah? I got a weird thing, um, just an enjoyment of elephants. Isn't that just strange, okay? Elephants are remarkable creatures. They're incredibly smart. They actually have the ability to grieve. Did you know that? And there's all sorts of weird stuff they're finding out about them. Um, cool, cool stories. But I have, I have a couple elephants in my office um, primarily because... I believe that there's always an elephant in the room that you got to kind of talk about. So I have one sitting in my window. It's a metaphor, get it? Okay, that's how it works. Um, my family went on vacation this last week. They brought me home a little elephant to add to my thing. And so I, can, I know I can pull on this. Do you know how they train elephants in India? Anyone heard this? When, a, when you have a brand new little baby elephant, they tie it to a 
stake in the ground and tie a rope around its leg. And when it's a baby elephant, it can't go anywhere because it's not strong enough to break that rope, right? But because it has learned, when I'm tied to the stake, I can't go anywhere, when it becomes a full-blown, multi-tonned elephant, you know how they keep the elephant in line? With the same rope. And it could easily snap, it could easily break that string and get free and, you know, do whatever an elephant wants to do in the zoo, but it doesn't because it has this knowledge, it has this learning, it has this belief that, oh, there's a little resistance here. That's about as far as I can go. I'm stuck here. And so it believes something. Would you say it is accurate or inaccurate? <laughs> inaccurate. All right. We got to talk about the things that are keeping you tied to the stake that are no longer restrictive in your world, but according to you, you actually believe that they are. All right? Here, Patrick, you can have that. That's from me to you, buddy. <laughs> you can do whatever you want with this string. I don't really care. <laughs> Thanks very much. I was going to pull on your arm, but it didn't work. So, um, <sighs> yeah. Um, here's where it gets weird. Not only are we going to talk about elephants tonight, let's talk a little bit about gravity. If I were to tell you there is no gravity, how many of you would say this class has just taken a weird turn? Okay. Did you know there's actually a theory out there that says there is no gravity? Okay. Again, welcome to the world of the internet. You can find anything on there. Let's do this real fast. Um, I need, come on up and help me real fast, would you please? Yes. You're standing there and I'm standing here, all right? And we are however many people apart here, right? What happens if I start to get bigger? I, you know, I start to you know, get taller and bigger and wider, and you start to get taller and bigger and wider. What happens to the distance between us? It gets closer. And if we continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger, guess what happens to us? It looks like we are starting to attract each other, doesn't it? <laughs> this took a weird turn as well. <laughs> Would this be one explanation of why objects attract? <laughs> You guys are kind of questioning this, right? But if you had never heard of, thank you very much, that's just too close. Um, but if you had never heard of the concept of gravity and mass and mathematics and all of that, do you think that that might explain why one, why one object tends to attract to the other? Would that make sense? Okay, give me just a, yeah, that's kind of within the realm of possibility, okay? We form beliefs because of the observable experiences that we have and we're trying to make sense of it however we can at the time. Okay, I'm gonna say that again. Beliefs come not because it is actually true but because it is how we make sense of something at the time that it happens and we use our observable kinds of experiences. So when we are children, um, most of our beliefs get rooted in the f before we are five, six years old. That's where our paradigms for the rest of our world and our life get shaped, 
is in that five to six year old kind of framework. And so if, if a child goes, oh, I just asked for some water because I'm thirsty before I go to bed, and dad gets really, really mad and starts yelling at me, what is the observable conclusion out of just the information at the time? What would be some, con what would be some ideas or concepts? Yep, and that would make perfect sense, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. What would be another belief? Water is bad. Water is bad, exactly. If I would have asked for juice, I would have been okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yep. Your needs make people angry. Your needs make people angry. Absolutely. That would be a belief that for a five-year-old would make perfect sense. The world is not safe. The world is not safe. Yep. My dad doesn't like me. We just had five or six different suggestions here, right? Here would be the question. Please tell me which one is actually objectively true. Which one is real? My dad's grouchy. Okay, that could be another truth as well, right? Our beliefs... And here's, here's the most important thing if we're going to change concepts of how we view ourselves. The things that we believe about ourselves might not actually be reality. They are only the things that make sense at the time. And so for you to start changing the way that you believe about yourself, again, this is the how part, for you to start changing the way that you believe, the things that you believe about yourself, you actually have to start questioning reality as much as questioning gravity. Because for some of you, the belief that I am worthless or not good enough is as true as gravity. Because your entire life has validated or proved that, that truth to you. And the, the reality is that that might not be the only explanation out there. Um, in several of my reading, again, kind of prepping for this, because this, this whole idea of changing how we view ourselves, again, is not easy. It's tough. I get it. Um, I heard from a couple sources that children growing up in the, kind of that five or six, until that five or six-year-old range, their brains actually are kind of in the, it's called the theta waves, which is kind of the, um, well, the hypnosis waves or... Um, imaginary kind of thinking realm. So that means anything that, that's why kids when they're little, they believe in monsters and, and tooth fairies and Santa Claus and all the things that aren't real because to them, I hope I'm not disappointing anyone right now. I should have double checked that. Okay. Um, those things aren't real. My son, when he was about three years old, I was telling a story. He was sitting on my lap and I was telling a story, he was the hero of the story, and I was, you know, the monster, and he was fighting the monster in some way. He jumps up off my lap, he runs to the other side of the room, he comes back and bites my finger as hard as he can. <laughs> I mean, just chomped onto it, and it hurt like crazy, because he was fighting the monster, and he was literally fighting the monster. It was real for him. It was absolutely real for him. That whole... That whole time frame of learning things when you're that young and that little, 
when you do get yelled at because you want water. Or the gal I know when she was trying to learn how to ride her bicycle at five. Dad's trying to teach her how to ride the bicycle. She falls off of it a couple times. Dad takes the bike and throws it down the street because she's not getting it and then storms off into the house. What do you think she learns about reality? All sorts of things. And they have shaped her world up into adulthood. The ability to question reality. Again, what's really nice is as adults now, as because we're not children, because we have power, we can actually do whatever we want to do as adults. You get to go back and you get to say, is that actually true? Would I do it the same way? Would I treat myself the same way that dad treated me or whatever person treated me? Did you know you can go back and you can question your own reality? But so many of us don't do that. So many of us just go, well, why would I do that? Because it's real, isn't it? I'm just, I'm not that good. I am a failure. And I got all sorts of other things to prove that I'm a failure. Well, I don't think so. Be willing to go back and question that reality. Questions or thoughts about any of that? Yes? You were saying by age five or so that, that paradigm shapes. Like when do you think that it really starts happening? Like birth or one, two, five? Yeah. Um, there is a fascinating, fascinating um, TED Talk. I love TED Talks. Anyone knows what TED, TED Talks are? They're just cool. Um, technology, education, and design, or entertainment design, whatever it is. Um, thought leaders who just come and, and speak on all sorts of cool stuff. There was this great, I'll have to come up, I, I got her name up there. Um, she's actually a neuroscientist, studies the brain, and she ended up waking up one morning having a stroke. And be, is that her name? Because she's a neuroscientist, she knows what's going on, and she can't stop being a scientist, and she's going, this is so cool, I'm having a stroke. So this is what it's like. And one of the things that she says in this talk is that because her, the stroke was happening in the left side of the brain, which is the reasoning, cognitive, kind of um, orderly sort of the brain, because it was happening there and blood flow was being restricted to there, she was purely in the experiential part. And so she would look out the window and the light would just be unbelievably amazing. And she got lost in the way the sunlight danced on the wall. That's actually the same state that most infants are in. They don't care why. They don't reason what's happening. It's just, oh. That's why they see something shiny, you know? It's like, oh, man, that's the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Because they actually, that's just, they're experiencing, they're being. Remember that chart up here? That whole birth to kind of, you know, early months wage? It's all about being and experiencing. And so... You don't really train kids at that age. You just you nurture them and you, you um, reassure them and you just let them have as many experiences as possible. Um, and then we start to develop cognitively and everything else. And so, again, that five, six-year-old age is when you start to start putting things together. Um, and then after that, you start to understand causality and reasons why. And, and, and when you get that um, 
from, formal, cog, from concrete operational to formal operational thinking, that 10, 11, 12 year, then you can start to say, oh, something outside of me, my dad is grouchy rather than it's my fault. That's when some of that tends to make sense. If we don't have that paradigm already that's already locked in saying, oh, wait a second, my whole experience, the first five, six years of my life was, um, I asked for water and I get yelled at. So that's, that's truth. And so even those early years shape our ability to formal operational thinking, perspective, all those things. Even as adults, we get hung up on, well, it's just true. I'm just not that good. I got all this stuff to prove it. So I don't know if that answered your question, but it was, sounded good. Um, <sighs> yes. Yes. So could you talk a little bit, maybe, I don't know if you, it's part of that, but um, talking about how actually one goes about shifting their, shifting their paradigm. I love good segues. It's just so wonderful. Um, short answer. Short answer, because we're going to take the rest of the night explaining exactly how that works, and we're at 835. We'll see if we can sum this up. The two necessary things to change that deep belief level, okay? Number one is your willingness to challenge reality. If you, if you go into things and say, I am actually open to considering that I might not believe what is true, and I'm willing to adopt a different belief system. If you don't have that openness, if you don't have that receptivity, then you, nothing you do or believe or think or say to yourself will, will change, because that's still rooted in. You have to have that willingness to challenge reality. And then the second thing, the only thing that changes beliefs is experience. You can't think your way out of it. You can't feel your way out of it. You have to experience it. And again, that is good news because as adults, you have power over your life and you can give yourself new experiences. If you're willing to go back to that, I'm willing to be uncomfortable. Because if you have to remain comfortable or... or, or keep everything status quo, then nothing will absolutely change, okay? Experience is the only thing that shapes some of this. Experience shaped your beliefs in the first place. It was experience with your parents. It was experience with the people who you're growing up with. It was the lack of experience that shaped who you were. Again, most parents don't sit down and say, now I want to teach you how to not like yourself so much, okay? Because this is going to come in handy when you're 32. Gotta have, just, we got to get that dialed in because everyone else hates themselves when they're older. And so we want you to be like everyone else. We're not taught that. It just doesn't happen. But our, and again, this is as a parent, I'm guilty of this just all the time. And I wish I wasn't. And I'm having to work through my stuff too. But oftentimes I treat my kids as an inconvenience. Last night I was tired. I went to bed. 
and I'm in bed, and my son comes and knocks on the door. And my tone and my, what? All the nonverbal stuff, remember that rule, whatever it was up here? How people behave rather than what they say? What did he possibly hear about himself? He's annoying, he's an inconvenience, all of those things. I wish that I had the ability to be perfect response in all of them, but I just don't. And so that experience he had with me, one more little water running down that channel, and it might grow a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, okay? Um, we, get to, we have to give ourselves new experiences. Um, of having a new experience. You guys reading my notes? Man, this is just, I, I, I love it. Um, one time I was hired and my new boss and I sat down beforehand um, and kind of went over the ground rules of, you know, here's what it's like to work here and all these things. And because he was a fairly self-aware person, he says, Paul, there's going to be times when we don't agree. There's going to be times when, um, when we're going to butt heads and we're, going to, we're not going to see eye to eye. When that happens, it's not a deal breaker. You don't have to be afraid for your job. You don't have to be afraid that, that somehow I'm going to hold that against you. We'll work it out. Um, but I need you to come to me if there's a problem. We, need, we can't have anything kind of below the surface. That experience with him was a very different experience than every other boss I had before him, right? And it changed a little bit about how I relate to authority figures and, you know, boss and, and managers and things like that. He gave me a, a great opportunity. Um, Paul? Yes. How about going to school at age 50 when back at age 18 and 17 you were not successful, not popular, but all of a sudden you are successful. Yeah. And then you have to visualize and keep visualizing farther and farther out. And those experiences get better and better. And you can let go of those memories yeah. of way back. That probably wouldn't work. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're making that. You're living it. I am. You are. And I'm happy. Again, we could tell story after story after story of people doing that right here. Um, there's a person that I know. Um, here's the email that she sent me. Um, this morning I reached up to grab my face cleanser from its home along with various other items and the razor came tumbling out. With my other hand, I caught the razor. The words out of my mouth were, that's amazing. How about that? The thoughts going through my head were, that I really do have good reflexes. I often catch things before they spill or fall. And then I said out loud, I am amazing. God made me amazing. The realization brought giggles of glee and tears of joy. As I pondered this moment, I realized that I have not always had good, ref that I have always had good reflexes, but I never acknowledge that when I catch something. However, when I don't catch something, and it spills or breaks. I beat myself up over it all day long. It is so good to see something amazing about myself I know that I need to start accepting the truth. God made me amazing. 
It doesn't have to be some altering monumental thing. It's one little moment in the bathroom in the morning and you can start to have a different experience and it's like, oh, wait a second. I am not as bad as I was or as I thought I am. I am challenging that reality. Isn't that just an amazing shift for someone to see? Again, I got the best job in the world. I don't know what you guys do, but I have the best job in the world because I get to watch people make that shift over and over and over again. Um, that same person, because we wear things on ourselves, um, made this wonderful, wonderful T-shirt. What it says is, I am precious, valuable, thought about, appreciated, wonderful, enjoyed, amazing, safe, creative, compassionate, wise, thoughtful, fun, smarter than I think I am, liked, missed, sensitive, funny. These are the things that she is starting to learn about herself. She's no longer content to wear the other shirt that has all the other phrases that she has believed are real about herself. Amazing. And she's starting to believe some of them, slowly but surely. Such a good shirt. I'd put it on, but I'd look weird, okay? <laughs> and it's not my shirt to wear. It's her shirt. You can't get one like this. It's hers. What would yours say? What would you want it to be? What reality are you going to start challenging? Good, good stuff. What else? What else? What else? Um, <clears throat> there's a phrase, I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, I do and I understand. Okay? Say that again. I hear and I forget. That's tonight. That's what we're doing. Okay, you're listening to me. So when you walk out the door, I understand. Um, I see and I remember. That's why we use video. That's why we have shirts. That's why we got yarn. That's why we got whatever else is over there. And then I do and I understand. Do. I want you to do stuff. I want you to consider trying different things. Okay, what would it be? What would be the one thing? What would be the one? And don't start with the biggest, nastiest, gnarliest lie that you're believing. Okay, don't do that because it just, you, you, you can't, you don't have that strength yet. But what is one tiny, little, small reality that you are willing to challenge and change? What would just be that one little thing? Um, huh. Wow, great. I'd let the rest of you yell it out, but go ahead and hang on to that. I have a client um, who is a journeyman plumber. Anyone know how much plumbers cost? <laughs> they're, they're worth their weight in gold. They, they, you know, you got water running all over the place or you got to get something fixed. So my, my client is a plumber. And for the longest time, he had the belief, I'm not actually allowed to charge people much. And so he was, you know, doing work for... $15, $20 an hour, okay? If any of you are a plumber, you know that that's a deal and a half, right? <laughs> yeah, he was busy. Um, and so we started to challenge, and his belief system was, well, someone give me what you think his belief system was. 
Um, no one's going to ever pay me more than that. I'm not worth that much and all those things. So I, as a, you know, his counselor said, guess what? You're no longer allowed to accept any payment below, and we started easy, about 45 bucks. And he just about threw up, okay? That belief, that reality for him was so real that he thought, I am never going to work again. No one's ever going to pay me. I can't believe that you're making me do this. You're going to make my family starve, okay? There was all sorts of counter or transference going on towards me. He didn't like me very much. Um, but I, I, you know, I stuck to it. And the next time someone called, he, he told me later, he says, I, I almost couldn't get the words out of my mouth when they said, how much do you charge? It was like, Ugh. he just couldn't do it. And finally he said, 45. And the guy says, great, when are you going to be over? That was... A year, two years ago, I got an e email from him recently. He says, I just charged someone 75 bucks. No big deal. <laughs> so I don't know if you want his number or not. OK, it's not going to help you out. <laughs> an hour. And again, that's still probably below what he could actually be getting if you know, he was working union or whatever that is. So anyway, he has sat long enough in that new experience where now he does not have that same pain anymore. He has a new experience and a new reality. So what is the one little thing about yourself you would be willing to change or to challenge or to give up that reality? And then what are you going to do experientially to try something different? For me, it was, again, talking to my best friend Bill because when I tried to make my wife, my seven-month pregnant wife, move on moving day two-story house and pack it into a, a moving van and just me and my wife and my best friend Bill was there and no one else because I couldn't ask anyone else because the belief was I can't inconvenience anyone, okay? And so I was going to make my wife move. Not a very good husband at that point, okay? Bill nods or shakes his head at me and says, oh, Paul, Paul, Paul. He calls up five guys, half an hour, we get everything moved, okay? I had to go back to him a couple weeks later and say, Bill, this is killing me. We've known each other for 10 years. I know we're going to be okay. I'm still afraid to ask you for help. And I got to know, are we going to be okay if I ask you to do something? Well, am I going to be an inconvenience to you? And he helped me work through this until he started mocking me with it because I called him up later, can I borrow your truck? And he goes, I don't know. That's probably the end of our friendship right there. <laughs> can't, that's not going to, can't do it. I had to sit in that discomfort, and I had that throw up, not in the stomach kind of thing, over borrowing a truck, okay? But again, that reality was, was very real for me. What experience are you going to do for yourself? If you can't come up with one, ask someone, okay? Here's the thing. Here's the, the easier belief I have about myself. Give me an idea. What can I do to challenge this? And I'm sure there are many people in here who would love to play, you know, puppet master with your life and say, let's do this, okay? Because it's going to be hard for you and I get to watch, okay? That's, but you might change. All sorts of new things might happen. And it might be great, wouldn't it? Experience is the only thing that changes us. Does that make sense? Everyone tracking with me? Yeah, what's the challenge now? What's the challenge now? Yeah. Find one area in your life, not a big granddaddy monster honking hairy thing that is, you know, hard belief to overcome. What is one small belief that is getting in your way? Number one, you have to say, is this real? Where did I learn that this might be reality? And then number two, what would I do to learn a different reality with it? 
What could I do that would, that would change my experience with this? Not just thinking about it. Thinking and talking about it isn't enough. Actually doing it. I have a question as far as if, you know, some of these are beliefs that we've had forever yeah. in our lives. And so we may, what if, we may not actually know that they're yeah. going away. What would you recommend as far as the blind spots? <sighs> we heal best in relationship. And the things that we're blind to ourselves, oftentimes other people, are unbelievably aware of. The other experiential thing that many of you are reaping the benefit from is sitting in this room right here. You have sat in small groups with people who are in this room. You have opened up your life to some of them. Some of them have had a chance to speak into your life. And when you can do that with a posture of openness and gratitude and receptivity to that, and you know that these people have your best interest in mind, then you might get to go, really? I didn't really know that that was a thing for me. Help me understand that more. And when, they get, when you give them permission to speak into your life, that relationship now becomes huh, affinitas. Okay? It becomes wonderful and healthy and something that you're drawn towards. That's what it's supposed to be like. And it's not that way for most people. This is a unique group. The things that are offered here is unique. I can't tell you how many people are walking through the world unbelievably alone. Now, they might have lots of people that they are friends with, but they are absolutely alone because they don't let anybody see that. Don't be that person. It's terrifying, okay? I can't tell you any other way about it. It's terrifying to do that for the very first time. Especially if you have learned, if, any, if I let anyone in, then they're going to see how bad I am, and that's going to bite me in the butt. It's, it is. It's, there's no easy way to do it. But you got to do it anyway. Because when you do it, it will change you. And it's worth every, every moment of discomfort. Oftentimes when new clients come and see me, we talk about the stomach ache that they have because just the idea of talking to a counselor and working on their stuff is evocative. And the phrase that we have is, you know, it's a shame to waste a good stomach ache. Okay? Come anyway. A lot of times people bail out and they just kind of re recycle that stomach ache and they don't really do the work. Don't waste the stomach ache. Okay? Let it be productive. Let it move towards something. Any other questions or thoughts? Yes. So, are, what are your thoughts? Uh, I was wondering what your thoughts are on affirmations and. Um, Great question. Um, affirmations tend to be up on that cognitive, conscious level. That's in the want and need area, and they are good. And in fact, I was going to show you. Uh, there's um, lots and lots of resources of. Actually, who you are in Christ. Here's this whole list. And they take scripture verses, and here's the truth, and here's the truth, and here's the truth, and here's the truth, and here's the truth. And all of those are absolutely true. I, I, I'm never going to argue that. But we're actually trying to compete with that on that want and need level. And so many people read through that, but the message in the background is, but that doesn't apply to you. 
somehow you're different, somehow you're special. Well, that one, yeah, you're disqualified from that one. You have to be able to change that subconscious, that belief level. And again, that happens through experience. So, there's the phrase, you can't teach a child about love. They have to experience love. Does that make sense? Again, I can't take my children and go, let me explain to you what it looks like to be loved, okay? It does this and this and this. Now there is a quiz at the end, right? It just doesn't work that way. My daughter, when I actually love her, when she's not very nice or obedient or all those other things, and, well, I'm going to tell a story about you here, okay? Um, not too long ago, because my daughter is a teenager, she enjoys sleeping in. Would that, anyone remember those days? Okay. So on a Saturday, I woke her up at the ungodly hour of 9.30 in the morning. Okay. <laughs> Can't believe I was that kind of parent. But I was. And she'd have a, she, you know, she was out with friends the night before or whatever. And, and so when I woke her up, she comes up the stairs and she kind of turns to go towards the kitchen because we were going to ask her to do some of her responsibilities in the house. She turns back to me, and, and I'm sitting in the living room, and she goes, Dad, and she was totally serious about this. She looks at me, and she says, Dad, I don't like you right now. Those are her feelings. I can't change her feelings. I can't adjust any of that, right? I, I could... Well, we could talk about how your parents might have responded to that, but we won't, okay? And in one of the good moments I have, okay, when she looks at me that way, I stand up and I walk over to her and I said, that's okay because it doesn't change how I think about you. And I put my arms around her. And it takes about 10, 15 seconds. And she does one of these, I'm not going to hug you, Dad, because I'm <laughs> mad at you. But she can only hold it for so long and finally, fine, okay, and puts her arms around me and she goes about and she does her chores and the relationship is still intact, okay? She experienced love rather than a whole bunch of other things. And again, that's one good story to a whole variety of other stories I could tell you that I've missed those moments and I wish I caught them all. But the relationship is more important than even the obedience. Can I even say that? I happen to get to sit with people who don't or have not had as many moments like that in their life. And it has profoundly shaped how they view the world. But you don't need a counseling degree. You don't need a graduate degree. You don't need anything to be able that, to offer that to someone. You might be able to offer it to your spouse. You might be able to offer it to a friend. You might be able to offer it to a neighbor. When the neighbor, you know, dumps something on your porch and you just gather it up and you say, I will take that on for you and I'm not going to retaliate in some way. And you love them rather than go over and witness to them and talk to them about love as you dump all the stuff back on their front porch. Okay? We act it out. We live it out. We experience it. 
Now, like I said, I wish we could spend so much more time talking about what this is and how this works. This is a real fast flyby over the top of it. <sighs> Challenge your reality. The experiences that you had, the truths that you connected to them might not be accurate. And when you start to challenge those things, you start to change some, in, some stuff inside. Okay? How about I pray for us and then I'll let you go home. Father, you haven't just talked to us about love. You haven't given us just random principles or laws to obey. For some strange and unknowable reason, you decided to give up your perfect form and assume the body of a man and come and be and relate and experience you continue to want to experience life differently with everyone here. I pray that again, you will show up in their lives in a real, tangible, unique, special, practical way this week and that they won't miss it, they won't excuse it, they won't rationalize it away. It will be unmistakable that is you speaking to their life. Rock, rock everyone's world this week with your love and your unconditional acceptance. Thank you for being a good God. And in your name. Thanks for coming tonight. Enjoy your evening. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.